Welcome to Magnificat Proclaims, presented to you by Magnificat, a ministry to Catholic women. Whether this is your first time you've listened to our program or you have been with us many times before, we are delighted that you have joined us. I'm Donna Ross, your host for today's program. We pray that today may be a special day in your life as you experience through the personal testimony of our featured guest, presence of Jesus Christ among us. He is alive and well. Magnificat, taken from Luke chapter 1, is the great hymn of praise that Mary prayed while visiting her cousin Elizabeth. Both women had been deeply touched by God. Elizabeth was bearing a long-awaited child. Mary was carrying within her womb the very Son of God. They came together to help one another, to speak of God's action in their lives, to sing, to pray, to share a common faith, and to be strengthened for all that was to come. Like Mary and Elizabeth, we want to come together in God's presence and proclaim the Almighty has done great things for me and you, and holy is his name. This Magnificat Proclaims series features Catholic Christian women who have shared their testimony at one of the many Magnificat chapters hosting quarterly meals around the world. Typically, this three-hour gathering provides opportunity for a shared meal, fellowship, communal praise and worship, personal testimony of one woman's expression of God's action in her life. We trust that these testimonies will help each of us come to better understand that we are truly children of God, made in His image and likeness. We are daughters of the King. It is my privilege to introduce our speaker, Joan Lococo. Joan has been married to Salvador Lococo for 48 years. She is mother to six children and grandmother to nine grandchildren. Her youngest child, John Paul, died at age nine, and it was through this experience that Joan learned more about the power of prayer and placing all her trust in the Lord. She was awarded the Regina Matrim Award in the Archdiocese of New Orleans, voted the most outstanding mother of the year. She served for many years on the service team of the Mother Chapter of Magnificat and for the past 19 years has served on the Central Service Team, the international governing board of this ministry. Her favorite scripture is, Do whatever he tells you, from John 2, verse 5. It is my privilege to introduce Joan Lococo. 
Good morning. It's really delightful for me to be here. It's a, an honor, and I'm especially honored that Bishop Foley is here. I thank you, Bishop, for attending. I don't believe there are any other Magnificat chapters where the bishop comes regularly, so you are really blessed, and Bishop Foley. Thank you. Thank you. We're here because on this date, it's anticipating the Feast of the Assumption and the Gospel from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, and it's the visitation scene, and it encompasses Mary's Magnificat, her song of praise. So this is a very Magnificat kind of day. I'm married. I have been faithfully married. I want to add that adverb there because lately a couple of guys have tried to get my attention. I'm speaking of arthritis and Charlie Horse. Have you heard of them in Birmingham? They get around, don't they? Well, Arthur became so obnoxious that I had to have a total hip replacement a couple of years ago to get rid of him. And thank God, the surgery was successful. But the only problem is that now, no matter how hard I try to do everything right, I always stand corrected. <laughs> the angel Gabriel said to Mary in the first chapter of Luke, nothing is impossible with God. Do you believe that? You really believe that? Okay. It follows then that there's no limit to the way God can communicate with us. I ask you this because I'd like to take you on a little journey of faith this morning through various events in my life. And in order to come on this journey with me, you have to put aside any preconceived ideas you might have of how God works. Because I'll be mentioning some very extraordinary ways that he used to get through this thick skull of mine. I'm German, I'm French, I'm Spanish. And um, sometimes I can be very hard-headed. As I share these circumstances which God conveyed his presence and his love to me, I ask you to open your eyes of faith, open your ears of faith. And that should be easy for you in this chapter, Mary, Woman of Faith chapter. Open those eyes of faith, because what I share cannot be explained. Without faith, no explanation is possible, but with faith, no explanation is necessary. Magnificat began on the Feast of the Holy Rosary, October 7, 1981. So I've placed my talk in the context of the mysteries of the rosary. I'll be sharing some joyful, the sorrowful, and a little touch of a couple of the glorious. The first joyful mystery, the Annunciation, reminds me, first of all, of my own act of consecration to the Blessed Mother, to Jesus through Mary, the de Montfort consecration, which is total consecration to Our Lady. I made that on March 25th, the Annunciation feast day. And this year, on the feast of St. Louis de Montfort, April 28th, our beloved Holy Father had this to say. He was sending a letter to prayer communities in Italy. Do whatever he tells you. 
This theme invites us to look at the icon of the wedding of Cana, where the new relationship of the disciples with the Lord is molded by the discreet and effective presence of Mary. She is the privileged and sure way for an encounter with the Lord. It is she who prepares us to welcome his word and makes us persevering in prayer in the expectation of the Spirit who inflames our hearts and leads us to put out into the deep with courage toward that goal that the Lord is indicating. Mary will never keep her children to herself. Mary always leads to Jesus. In this first mystery, I'm also reminded of the gift of song, which God gave me, and for many years I was afraid to use it except in choirs. I'd been in choirs all my life from grade school on through college. But when the choir director would ask me to sing a certain part or to do a solo, I would say, oh no. Actually, my voice would freeze up. Nothing would come out. I was so afraid to sing. I did sing a solo. It was so low, nobody heard me. And that wasn't good. But I would sing in a choir. Well, about 30 years ago, our pastor at the time was looking for song leaders. That's what they call them then. We're cantors now. And I knew that I knew the hymns. And I knew that I had a voice, but I was afraid. And so I prayed about it. And as I prayed, the passage in Matthew 25 came to me about the man with 5,000 talents and the man with 2,000 talents and the man with 1,000 talents. And you remember what happened. God was, the owner was very pleased with the one who doubled the 5,000 and doubled the 2,000. But the one that buried his 1,000 was thrown out into the darkness. And so meditating on that passage, a greater fear came over me a greater fear than singing. It was the fear of meeting the Lord one day, as we will. And he would say, Joan, what did you do with that gift of song that I gave you? And I would have to say, I buried it, Lord. And that fear led me to pray to the Holy Spirit, to ask him, please, to help me. Now, the Ursuline nuns had taught us very well about the Holy Spirit. Pray to the Holy Spirit for guidance. Pray to him for inspiration. And so I prayed to the Holy Spirit and asked, would you please overshadow me as you did Our Lady at the Annunciation and let the voice come out? So I stepped out in faith. You know, we have to take a step in faith sometimes. And my hands were cold, my knees were shaking, my heart was pounding, but the voice came out. The first time I stood on the altar and the voice came out, I said, oh, thank you, Lord. And the symptoms were still present for several months, but the voice did not betray them. But God doesn't let us be complacent, you know? He likes to nudge us. If I, we think our cup is full, he likes to give us a bigger cup, just so we can expand those gifts. And I was fine until one day a young priest in our parish asked me if I would sing for his fifth ordination anniversary mass. And I said, sure, Father, I'll be happy to. And he said, I want you to sing Schubert's Ave Maria. And I said, oh, I'm sorry, Father. I don't do solos. I just lead the congregation. No, no. He would not take no for an answer. I said, Father, I've never done Schubert's. No. Just walked away. No, you can do it. And I thought, wow, Lord, we have a problem here. 
So I prayed again, and I said, okay, I'll learn the music. I'll do my best, but you have to sing to your mother. You know, you have to take over. So that night, we had a beautiful mass, and guess what? Jesus sang soprano. <laughs> and he's been singing soprano ever since. I always ask him to sing with me. Second joyful mystery, the visitation. Mary went in haste to visit her cousin Elizabeth. The most beautiful experience I've had of that mystery is my involvement with Magnificat. I'm convinced that this is really an authentic work of the Holy Spirit. When we began 20 years ago, we had no idea that today we would be in 50 different chapters. We would be in many parts, many dioceses of the United States. Plus, we're in the Caribbean islands, in Poland, in Canada, and the island of Malta. The Holy Spirit is working through word of mouth. It's just remarkable. This morning, as you share with each other at the table, and you share with the hostesses, as we share with each other, and, and Jesus is present, we're reenacting this scene of the visitation. The Holy Spirit is very present. The third joyful mystery, the Nativity, reminds me to thank God for the gift of life that he has given me, that he's given me the gift of my children and my precious grandchildren. Church has always been very important to my husband and me. When Pope Paul VI encyclical Humanae Vitae came out in 1968, church has been important. As I said, when this encyclical came out in 1968 and a lot of Catholics refused to accept the church's traditional teaching on the use of contraceptives, my husband and I agreed that without doubt, to remain Catholic, we had to follow the teachings of the church. We could not be cafeteria Catholics and pick and choose whatever we wanted from the line. The following year, 1969, when our son Paul was born, we named him Paul after Pope Paul VI. Each of us is called to give birth to Christ. Do you know that? We're called to give spiritual birth. And you might not be asked to give a formal witness, but you will be asked to listen to a neighbor, to do something that God is inspiring you to do. And that is giving witness and giving birth to Jesus in the world. The fourth joyful mystery, the presentation. This reminds me of my own baptism in the Catholic Church when I became a child of God shortly after I was born. And I am so grateful for the marvelous gift of the Catholic Church. We need to appreciate what we have and thank God for this gift of church. I thank those who nurtured my faith, my, my mother, my grandmother, the wonderful sisters, the Dominican sisters, the Ursuline sisters, the Incarnate Word Sisters, the priests in the parish, the priests in the different orders. And I would like to take a moment here to thank Bishop Foley and Father Sean and Monsignor Richard and Father Joseph. I thank you for being a priest. Thank you. And Sister Virginia and Sister Joan, I thank you for giving your lives to the Lord in becoming a nun. We really appreciate the work that you've done in the church. We're very blessed that you have given yourself to God in this way. And I was fortunate to grow up under 
the tutelage of Our Lady of Prom Succor at Ursuline, and we have the wonderful National Shrine of Our Lady of Prom Succor in New Orleans. And so that's where I began my practice of daily mass, and it's just that Our Lady was there and brought me to church. It was so easy, you know, to go to mass there in the morning, and she watched over us. What a gift we have in the Eucharist. This morning, Monsignor Richard celebrated the Mass in the Maronite Rite, and it was so beautiful, Father Richard. Thank you. That was a wonderful experience. My pastor can't wait for me to get home and tell him what it was like. He said, you will enjoy that, and I did. Praise God. Lately, this fourth mystery makes me think a little bit of Anna in the temple. Not that I'm her age and not that I'm a widow, but her faithfulness to prayer. Especially now that I've joined the Medicare bunch, I look at Anna in this mystery. A good bit of my life, I was the youngest. I skipped kindergarten, I skipped eighth grade, and I was always two years younger than those in high school or college. And wherever I went, I was the youngest. And all of a sudden, I don't remember getting older, but I'm the oldest. And it takes a little shifting of your mental gears, doesn't it? I see a couple of heads nodding. You, you can appreciate what I'm saying. I came across the senility prayer a couple of weeks ago. Have you heard that? It's like the serenity prayer for senior citizens. And it's an, an anonymous author, and it says, God grant me the senility to forget the people I never liked, the good fortune to run into the ones I do, and the eyesight to tell the difference. <laughs> you have to love it, right? My parents were divorced. I really did not know my father. My mother had to work to support, support us, and as far back as I can remember, we lived with my grandmother, who was a feisty, wonderful Catholic, German Catholic, and she had a great influence on my life. But the fact that my parents were divorced had a great influence on my life because back in those days, divorce was not prevalent. It was, it was really a stigma. And I was so embarrassed. I, I hated the fact that my father was never around. And I would even lie about it if the kids would say, oh, where's your daddy? You know, and I'd say, oh, he's a traveling salesman or he's, uh, he's working, some excuse that he was not at home. I did not have the experience of a loving father in my home, and so my idea about God was colored by that. I thought God was very distant. God is impersonal. He gives you life, and then he pretty much leaves you to handle it on your own. So intellectually, I knew that the father was guiding my life, but I really thought talking to him was a long-distance call. The fifth joyful mystery is the finding, of course, of Jesus in the temple. To find Jesus in the temple of my heart, I had to lose him, at least think I had lost him. Have you ever had a dark period in your life when you really thought God was not there? Well, God used such a time in my life to break through in a powerful way to speak to me. For all my years of following the laws of the church, I felt a nagging spirit spirituality. I wanted more. I wanted something more. And I still did not have a teachable spirit because when they spoke of adult education, I thought, oh, I have education in a Catholic college. I don't need adult education. 
I didn't realize that you learn all your life. You can't just put your schooling aside. You need to grow in your faith. I had a very good bit of knowledge in my head, um, and God would have to really deal with me. It's a dangerous attitude in the spiritual life if you think you have it all, if you think you know it all. We were a family of eight in a two-bedroom house. Can you picture that? One bathroom, eight people trying to get in at the same time. Togetherness was driving us all crazy. We looked for a couple of years for a larger house, but we wanted to remain in our location. Uh, we love the parish of St. Catharines, and it's a very convenient location. And plus, we couldn't afford a, a very large house. So I, wanted, I would have settled for anything that gave us more bedroom space. But my husband took it as his God-given mission in life to find a flaw that would say, oh, no, this house is not suitable. So. Over the years, I had several major disappointments with the house hunting chores. And I would fluctuate. Sometimes I would stand at my kitchen sink and say, okay, Lord, I can take it. This is fine. And then the next night, I'd go out and sit on the hood of the car and say, Lord, I can't take this. Do you see what's going on down here? But God was silent. God was silent, and I hadn't learned to listen in the silence. And so his silence reinforced my idea about God. To me, he was distant. He was impersonal. Then one day, we found a house that my husband liked, and I thought, oh, this is it. He made an offer. I thought it was a generous offer. And I gathered the children around the dining room table, and I said, okay, we're going to say the rosary that God will have this lady say yes to, to Daddy's offer. And on Friday night, we did that. She promised to answer us on Sunday. On Saturday, we did the same thing. And on Sunday, we did the same thing. And I said, okay, Lord, I'm doing everything right. And when uh, my husband called the woman, she said, no, I won't accept your offer. Well, I was floored. And I was so angry. I was angry at God. I had done everything right. We all joined together. We agreed we were more than two or three. And he said, no. Talk about a spoiled brat, huh? I went to church the next day. I couldn't go to mass. I just went to church to say, I'm so angry with you. And I stood in the back of church and told him that and walked out. Next day, I went again, and I told him again, I'm still angry with you, and walked out. The third day, I went back, but for some reason, which I can't explain, I went in a different door, and there, as I walked in, on the wall directly in front of me was a life-size crucifix. And as I looked at that, I just fell on my knees. I defy any Christian to look at a crucifix and be angry with God at the same time. You can't do it. You just can't do it. So I knelt and I cried and I said, oh, Lord, forgive me. I'm lost. I thought I knew how to do things. I thought I knew how to pray. I thought I knew what was right. And, and I'm just totally lost. If you don't come help me, I'll lose you. And you'll, you'll lose me, too. So I went home. That was all. I went home really depressed. And that afternoon, that same afternoon, a friend came and said, 
Joan, I don't know why, but I've been seeing your face in my prayer time, and I've been praying for you. And I said, oh, Joanne, I've really been going through a hard time this past few days. And she offered to take me to a prayer meeting. She said, I think you'll be interested in going to this prayer meeting with me. So I agreed to go. And the both of us were amazed that all the time I was hurting over here, God was preparing my friend to come to my aid. And I felt like, you know the story of that little Indian who wanted to be a warrior? But this little brave, in order to be a warrior, had to spend a whole night in the forest by himself. And he did that. The, the tribe led him into the middle of the forest, and he sat there under a tree all night, petrified. And he, the sounds of the forest were magnified, of course. And then in the morning, as the darkness lifted and the sun began to filter through the trees, he looked up, and right above him, he saw his father sitting on a branch. His father had stayed there all night watching over him so that he would not be harmed. And I felt that little Indian in me that the father had been watching over me. Oh, incidentally, we never did find a house. We added on to our present house. And the, and the interesting thing, an inheritance from my father was exactly what we needed to add on. I began to attend the prayer meetings, and somewhere in those months of going to prayer meetings, I had two really unforgettable experiences. I'd like to share them with you. The first was in prayer at home. I just felt that I was in the presence of God. I felt that I was surrounded by light, and I thought, oh, I've got to pray in tongues. But I didn't know how to pray in tongues. And I opened my mouth and just started saying, Abba, 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 Abba. And I realized after that, that God had introduced me, Jesus had introduced me to the Father and that the Father loved me. And that experience helped to bridge that gap that I had suffered because of the loss of my earthly father. It helped to bridge that gap with God the Father. In Romans 8, 15, 16, Paul says, you did not receive a spirit of slavery leading you back into fear, but a spirit of adoption through which we cry out, Abba, that is, Father. The Spirit himself gives witness with our spirit that we are children of God. I had been a child of God since my baptism, and now I knew I was a child of God. The other experience I had was a very vivid dream. I love dreams, and I've had some really wonderful, I think, spiritual dreams. Well, in this dream, suddenly there appeared before me the most gorgeous man I have ever seen in my life. He was a hunk. <laughs> and not only that, he had an air of authority and grace and dignity. And he looked at me, and we looked at each other, and his eyes, although we didn't speak, his eyes had a look of unconditional love. And I was so thrilled, I ran up to him and threw my arms around his neck. And then I woke myself up. I realized I'm in a dream, and I need to wash my hair. 
and I don't want him to see me with my hair in curlers. So I made myself wake up, and I thought, oh, you silly thing. That had to be Jesus. That had to be Jesus. And I had seen his unconditional love for me. So I seized this opportunity to attend Life in the Spirit seminars and surrendered my life to Jesus Christ as my Lord. I was prayed over for the baptism in the Holy Spirit, where the Holy Spirit is released in us. So this mystery also has a touch of the third glorious mystery, the descent of the Holy Spirit. Now, that Holy Spirit took a long trip from my head to my heart as I was consciously aware of his work within me. I'd like to tell you in song what I feel Jesus did for me. And it's called Brother Jesus by Carrie Landry. We'll just sing a couple of verses of it. The music ministry, I think, is going to help me with this. And don't sit there. You're going to have to work, too. He is so good. He knew that I would need strength and the knowledge of his presence for the sorrowful mysteries that were beginning in my life. And he was equipping me with a personal relationship with Jesus Christ as my Lord, a vital prayer life, and a voracious appetite for scripture. His holy word was a personal love letter to me, and the words leaped off the page at me. It's wonderful. All my life I knew about God, but now I knew God, and it was glorious. In the meantime, our sorrowful mysteries had begun. You know, for Christians, the cross is not an accident. It's what mocks us as followers of Jesus Christ. Our sorrows began like those of Jesus in a garden, our backyard to be exact, when our youngest son, Paul, had a fainting spell. He was four years old at the time and Sal and I bundled him in the car and rushed him to the hospital. Actually, he stopped breathing. And I didn't know anything about CPR, but I started to breathe into his mouth. And I prayed, Father, Father, I know our children are yours. They're just ours for a short time. But please let us keep this child longer. And with that, my son gave kind of a guttural breath and started breathing again. Well, we spent a few weeks in the hospital, and they thought he was coming with epilepsy and had the beginning of that, and they were treating him with Dilantin. So over a period of a year, the next year, he would have a little fainting spell, and I would think, oh, bundle him in the car, rush up to the doctor's office. A lot of the times I was by myself. He'd get to the doctor's office, and he'd be fine. He'd come too. So this went on, and... One, one time he had a very serious spell and in the doctor's office his heart stopped and the doctor came running out and the nurse came running out and grabbed other doctors and nurses and they got him resuscitated and when they did that they moved us to Baptist Hospital a block away and we found ourselves on a code blue in Baptist Hospital and doctors and nurses, technicians, the whole staff and their uncle came running into the emergency room where my son was and I sat in the outside little vestibule with my husband on my left and the little Baptist, young Baptist minister, chaplain of the hospital, 
blessed chaplains of the hospital, they're wonderful, sat next to me and we were praying silently. And as we prayed, I had the experience of being somewhere off in space. I had no idea where I was. I was on a thin circular disk floating in space, nothing around me, nothing at all that I could see land in sight or something to help me to grab onto. But I had the distinct knowledge that that disk was the hand of God upholding me. And God filled me with a peace that was his peace beyond all understanding. I was so aware of God's presence there in the hospital that later that night, it was around midnight, all of my family left and I stayed, of course, in ICU. And the nurse on duty said to me, are you alone? And I said, no, God is with me. Well, you've never seen a nurse run out of a room so fast. <laughs> uh, she came back a few minutes later with the Catholic chaplain. I think she thought, if God is with this woman, Father better come meet him. <laughs> well, my son was at death's door, and it was touch and go for, for four weeks. The doctors were baffled. They didn't know what he had, and finally diagnosed a rare pediatric form of arrhythmia. They said they'd have to write it up in the medical journal and call it the Lococo syndrome. I've never looked at a medical journal. I don't think I ever want to see the Lococo syndrome again. But many a night, our lady was with me, and I prayed rosary after rosary after rosary. And there were prayer networks all around the city praying for Paul. And he recovered enough to go home with us, but he was under an astronomical dosage of Enderol. I don't know if anybody here takes that medication. It's an adult heart medication. And he was taking 600 milligrams a day. It had never been given pediatrically above 40 milligrams a day. So he was taking 15 times the pediatric level of that medicine, and we had no idea what effect that would have on his other organs. But it's, that's what they needed to stabilize his heart. I'm convinced that Paul had one of those life-after-life -life experiences when his heart stopped, when he was in a coma for a short time. Because when he finally came to, he would tell me, Mama, I can't wait to go flying up in the sky with Jesus. And he loved Jesus. They were tight. They were buddies. And he would often say that. And my other children would say, Mama, don't let him say that. He's talking about dying. And I would say, no, let him say that because it, it was good. He knows Jesus. He's not afraid. Well, we had a very delicate little boy on our hands, and he needed a lot of attention. Uh, I couldn't go to prayer meetings, of course, but I did have a prayer meeting every day with my son because we talked about Jesus and how great it will be when we get to heaven. He had a, um, sustained some brain damage, and he had to go to a couple of years of special education. And the doctor was gradually reducing his dosage of Enderol until he finally got him down within a four-year range, got him down to 40 milligrams a day. And Paul made his first communion that April, and I was so thrilled. But at the end of May, the eve of his ninth birthday, he had another attack. And it was the worst of all, and we spent the next 10 days 
with Paul in a deep coma in the hospital. And we kept a constant vigil at the hospital. I would go home just for a short time in the afternoon to bathe and change and go back. Well, after the first 72 hours, they told us that his brain was dead, that he would never be more than a vegetable. And when I heard this news, I went home and just broke down in the bathroom. And I said, Lord, I can't handle this. I'm like chopped liver. If, if you expect me to go back to that hospital, you have to do it. You have to go with me. And from somewhere deep inside me came the words of Philippians 4.13, which says, In him who is the source of my strength, I have strength for everything. And God gave me the strength to go back to the hospital. It was God's strength, I knew, because I had none, absolutely none. And I also knew that he gave me that strength to strengthen my family. You know, the mother has to be strong for the family. In Luke 22, starting at verse 31, Jesus says, Simon, Simon, remember that Satan has asked for you to sift you all like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may never fail. You, in turn, must strengthen your brothers. God enabled me to do that. Each afternoon, words from scripture would come to reinforce me, to help me, and give me the strength. I knew when I was powerless, I was strong because I had Jesus' strength. Mother Mary was my constant companion. I would sometimes picture her in my mind standing at the crucifix next to her son and say, Mary, how did you do it? That's all I would ask her. How did you do it? On the 10th night, all the family had left, and as I sat by Paul's bedside, I was praying and crying for a long time, and I said, Father, I know all things are possible for you. You can heal this child if you want to, but I ask you, please, not to leave him in this state of limbo. Don't let him be like this. And finally, I gave up crying and praying and decided I better get some sleep. So I went down the hall to, oh, halfway down the hall to a little waiting room and slept on the sofa there. And a couple of hours later, I felt, it was a literal feeling, I felt my son's arms around my waist. And I knew it was Paul because he used to play this game with me when I'd wash the dishes. Now I have a dishwasher. I don't have fun anymore. <laughs> but I would wash the dishes and he would come running behind me and put his arms around me and I would pretend a monster had me, you know, until he decided to show his precious little face and, and I'd say, oh, it's you, Paul. None of the other children did that. So I knew this was Paul putting his arms around my waist. I saw his face as if in a pool of water floating out the door down the hall and I knew that he was leaving, that he was going home. So I rushed to his room. All the nurses were present because the monitors had called them in. They knew this was really bad. And about 15 minutes later, he was flying up in the sky with Jesus. If I could only describe to you the gentleness and the exquisite tenderness of God, at that time, 
to think that he cared so much for me, he would allow my son to communicate me, my son who was in a coma, to communicate with me in an unmistakable way, to call me to his bedside to be there when he left with Jesus. I knew that his life was changing. It was not ending. Well, we had a beautiful mass of Christian burial, and we had seven priests celebrating on the altar, two deacons, the choir sang, and a friend of mine had put a large blue butterfly, a floral organdy butterfly, on his coffin, and the whole mass was focused on resurrection. It was beautiful. After communion, I felt that God wanted me to say something, and my heart was pounding in my chest. It was like, get up and say something. So I walked up to our, our pastor, our principal celebrant, and as I, as I walked, I thought, okay, dummy, what are you going to say? Well, just say thank you and sit down. And as I got, he, he gave me permission to speak, and as I got to the microphone, words came out, and I want to share them with you because they were God's words. I had not prepared them. And I said, I would like to say that God is love. And I have met him many times over the past 12 days. He cooked meals for my family, and he sat with me in the hospital. I have seen him in the kindness and concern of many family members and friends. I believe that God can draw good out of everything. And out of Paul's sickness, God has drawn a community of love. So I would like to say thank you, Jesus, for Paul. And thank you, Jesus, for the community of love that shared our burden and now shares our joy for Paul. They tell me that those words, God is love, reverberated through the parish. Two days later at weekday mass, they were confirmed when I saw the communion antiphon for that week. 1 John 4, 16, God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. You have to understand I was on a spiritual high because of the presence of God. And I felt like Peter walking on the water. I was so high. But also like Peter, when I'd look down at my situation and realize what I had lost, I nearly drowned. The butterfly which was on the coffin, is now in my living room. And the butterfly became not just a symbol that the church uses for resurrection and new life, but it became a symbol of the spiritual presence of my son. And we saw hundreds of butterflies that summer. They were everywhere. I would see them in a doctor's office, a picture of a butterfly, an, an advertisement on television. I'd be speaking, praying, and just talking to my son as I drove, and a little butterfly would fly across the front of the windshield. They were everywhere. It was beautiful. Um, even in Medjugorje, a few years after my son's death, in 1987, I was there on the Feast of the Annunciation, and we were on the Hill of Apparitions, and a little butterfly, I was singing. One lady asked me to sing something, and I was singing Amazing Grace 
facing the Church of St. James, and this little butterfly came circling the cross and then made a figure eight around my head and back around the cross, and he did this about a dozen times. And there were many of us on the side of the mountain, but he only circled me. And then he sat on a little rock and waited till I finished Amazing Grace, and then off he flew. But I know that my son is with me in a spiritual way. Still, I had bad times. I don't want you to think I, I breezed through that. I think the death of a child is just about the worst death a mother can experience, not to denigrate any other death of parent or family or husband, but I do think a mother has a terrible loss in the loss of a child. The worst time I had was Christmas that year. I was almost impossible to Christmas shop, but I had other children, you know. I had to get into the shopping center and shop for them. And I got through Christmas dinner, but that night I crashed. And I was inconsolable. It was like, don't come near me. Don't talk to me. Leave me alone. And I prayed, I have to see Paul as he is now. That was my prayer. It was, and God understood it was more a demand. I thought I'd see him in a dream, you know, because I'd had some good dreams, or a vision. Why not? Saints come to see people at other times. Why couldn't he come to see me? So I prayed, I have to see Paul as he is now. But I didn't have any dream. I hardly slept, really. And I kept praying. I just told that to the Lord all day, every day. I prayed that way for about seven days. And finally, it was New Year's Day, and I had to sing at the Mass. And I said, oh, I don't feel like singing. But I psyched myself up because, of course, it's the Feast of Mary, the Mother of God. And also, that particular Mass was for Paul. So I psyched myself up to sing for it. And after Mass, a friend came up to me and handed me a little Apostleship of Prayer leaflet. In those days, we had them every month. Do you remember those wonderful little leaflets and you prayed for the intention? Well, on the picture of this January leaflet was The Listener by Francis Hook. And it was Jesus and a little boy sitting on his lap. And I knew that was the answer to my prayer. I knew that God had answered my prayer to see Paul as he is now. You have a copy of that picture at your place. And I want you to have that because it was God's answer to a mother's prayer. I would have limited him. You know, we're so limited when we pray and we try to limit God. I would have limited him to a dream for myself or a vision, but he gave me a picture that I could share with all of you so that you would know his love, his personal love for each of you. God isn't finished with me yet. Life is still presenting crises and challenges, and I'm sure it always will. But I've learned a few valuable lessons. First of all, getting older is not for sissies, right? God is faithful in every age. He's always with us. And also, there's always more. There's always more to learn, more to experience with God. We can never exhaust, never exhaust the wonders of God or knowing his love and his presence. It's awesome. 
I'd like to sing a final song, and I'm going to ask you to sing it with me. We'll sing the uh, second and third verses of Fill My Cup, Lord. I've been told by Bishop Vath's sister, Valerie, that this was Bishop Vath's favorite song once he heard it, and he thought it should be sung every Sunday. I think Bishop Foley could do a great job with his beautiful baritone voice. I don't know if Bishop Vath had a good voice, but sing with me, fill my cup, Lord. I pray that the Lord will do that for each of you, and I pray that you be willing to have that cup expanded and allow the Lord to fill you more and more with his Holy Spirit. I thank the music ministry for their assistance, a wonderful music group, and I just thank everybody here, the hostesses, the ones who prepare the delicious breakfast. I want the recipe from Carolyn, and um, the ticket chairman, and the prayer intentions that was so beautiful. I've never seen that at another chapter where everybody brings the roses up to Our Lady. I was very touched by that. And um, by all who worked, every one of you put so much into this. And God is going to bless you. I like to say, you're going to have stars in your crown. God bless you all. Thank you. Now that we have listened to Joan Lacoco's testimony, let us recognize the need for each of us to help one another to speak of God's action in our lives, to sing together, to pray together, to cry together, to share our Catholic faith, which will strengthen us for whatever lies ahead in our life journey. We hope you have been touched by Joan Lacoco's faith-filled witness. What a gifted speaker. You know, it's not easy to share so deeply, and we thank Joan for truly proclaiming his marvelous deeds. In keeping with today's presentation, Let us lift our hearts in prayer to the dear Blessed Mother as we say, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Well, we are delighted that you've been able to be with us today. And for more information or a copy of today's broadcast, please write us at Magnificat Proclaims. P.O. Box 2983, Orange, California, 92859. That's once again, Magnificat Proclaims, P.O. Box 2983, Orange, California, 92859. It might also be convenient for some of you to call us toll-free at 800-500-4556 or 714-744-0336. In addition, if you would like to know more about the Magnificat ministry, including the location of a Magnificat chapter in your area, please call 504-828-MARY. That's 504-828-6279. Well, on behalf of Magnificat Proclaims, this is Donna Ross, inviting you to join us next time as we present more personal testimonies from our inspirational Catholic speakers. Remember, Magnificat proclaims the greatness of the Lord. And until next time, may God shower you with his choicest blessings.